listening to Sports Radio Detroit. Welcome to Grave Discussions. I am your host, Barnabas. And I am your other host, Samael. Welcome to a very spooktacular episode. This is going to be episode number 80. We finally reached 80. And this one is called The Shape of Halloween. You can already guess what we're going to talk about. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is uh, most likely going to be the last episode before the actual day of Halloween. So... First off, boils and ghouls, happy Halloween, of course. We hope that you guys have had an awesome, spooktacular October and that you've watched a bunch of horror movies. I have, and I kind of, half of them were good, and then I, you know, you know, you follow me on Instagram. Mm -hmm. I wasted my time with some uh, <laughs> other ones that were also Halloween-centered, but, mm -hmm. but they were pretty lackluster, because uh, some of them were newer, uh, and those ones were kind of shitty, like The Legend of Halloween Jack. Yeah. <laughs> I still would watch it if I were you, because it's just, like, so fucking dumb. Yeah. Like, the worst special effects I've ever seen in a <laughs> oh, movie. Oh, man. Well, I am kind of interested, but... Well, I am kind of interested, but one movie did it really well and kind of set the stage for everything, and that is the titular Halloween. The original, of course, from 1978, and we're going to be discussing that uh, in depth in our main segment and kind of exploring how it laid the groundwork for other Halloween-themed movies and slashers and so much more. So, uh, first off, we do have to give a shout-out to Sports Radio Detroit. Yes, our gracious hosts, and you can find them on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and you can find them at sportsradiodetroit.com. On social media, just look up Sports Radio Detroit, SRD. That's Sports Radio Detroit, SRD, not Detroit Sports Radio. Exactly, and just one more quick mention, uh... As you guys might know, we just recently did a crossover episode with now on Make Fun uh, Network, Over Under Fair. Yes. And we talked about a bunch of underrated horror movies, and we'd like you guys to go check out that episode. So uh, you can head over to the Over Under Fair pages and find that. But we're going to start off now with our show, uh, as always, with the news and it's been a bit uh, of time since our last official episode, so uh, there has been a lot going on, and uh, we do apologize for the delay. I was actually at Halloween weekends over the weekend. How was it? At Cedar Point. It was fun. We and Aqua went two years ago. Oh, okay, nice. Yeah, no, it was really cool. Uh, I walked around at night, you know, I saw all the performers and stuff, and uh, all the rides were really cool at night, but that's where we've been, uh, but we're back now, and the first bit of news here is pretty interesting one i kind of was scratching my head at it <laughs> yeah exactly uh i mean i think it's cool but i don't know uh, so you tell them what what's going right. on because i don't even feel right saying this <laughs> so okay uh you guys may be aware of an old movie known as maniac cop well <laughs> hbo has apparently ordered a maniac cop tv series from none other than drive director Nicholas Winding Refn, or however you say his name, uh, I'm not sure, but yeah, the guy who did Drive, um, 
well, what else did he do? Uh, Only God Forgives and, and the Neon Demon, I think, and something else. You know what I think is going on? We see all this resurgence of, like, old-school horror in, like, the modern day with Maniac Cop, Child's Play, Pet Cemetery, even Creep Show. Mm-hmm. I think people are truly, like, sick of, like, modern horror movies, and they're trying to remember, like, a better time for horror when it actually felt like there was some passion behind the projects because now it seems to, like, cash in on a franchise mm-hmm. or stuff like that. There's nothing really going on in like the horror community like in terms of like new movies besides like candy corn and midsummer mm-hmm. and all and the lighthouse and all these movies you coming still out gotta be kind of like, into it exactly so like yeah. i feel like that and the fact that like all these older movies like maniac cop they're getting blu-ray releases like from synapse films and then you also have arrow video and shout factory like keeping the old school horror alive by doing these like rare re-releases of movies like mm-hmm. like the prey and stuff like that so like and I think like these these studios are seeing how much money like they're making from these like re-releases, and I th- think that they think it's a good idea to sort of emulate those marketing strategies, you know, by like promoting new shows to like old movies. Like, I mean, we even got the new Child's Play show coming out soon. Yeah, new Creep show and everything. Yeah, so I'm excited. It makes total sense. It's interesting to this combination is just interesting to me because first of all, Maniac Cop is not what i would say one of the particularly uh more well-known like 80s movies you know i mean it has a following but the fact that not only hbo would pick it up for a re- a, what's being called a reimagining but not only that but then nicholas winding refn uh who's just a really interesting director like you know every movie has neon in it and it's just kind of like noir-ish sort of pulpy almost i like that yeah so i i think you know the, the original maniac cop didn't really have any of that no it didn't it was so it it's was, gonna be it's gonna be a wild adaptation the original <laughs> one was just like a slasher meant to cash in on like the 80s slasher craze mm-hmm. but they're like oh what if one of the good guys was a bad guy <laughs> and it didn't really have any really underlying societal messages back then yeah. but i think now it's more prevalent having a show called maniac cop because you know how it is nowadays out there for oh yeah you know minorities especially so like and i guess this one's probably gonna have like a social driven narrative maybe i hope not because like those issues are already prevalent and making a tv show isn't gonna open anyone's eyes and really enlighten them about the situation at hand i mean there's enough like actual footage of what happens you know Mm -hmm. so like i feel like this would be kind of a waste to make it a you know social justice movie or like TV shows, so I think well, it would be good to just let's go back to the roots. Stop like reimagining every show mm-hmm. and every movie with like the social justice aspect. I mean, look what's going on with Black Christmas. Like, yeah, well, classic slasher. Now they're just flushing it down the toilet. <laughs> well, here's a here's part of a quote from Refn himself. He said, and and this could you know make you excited and and like half a little not excited he ended it by saying uh this show will be an unadulterated action-packed horror odyssey interesting but also given the current state of the world though maniac cop will also be a strong commentary on the decline of civilization so there might be some of that but it does sound like there's also going to be you know a bigger focus potentially on just like the horror stuff itself i mean like hereditary was to like mental issues and loss and grief this movie is going to be to like you know power tripping cops Mm. and stuff like Like, that like they might not be super direct with it like some of the into the dark stuff is or some of those other movies you know but I, i i think it'll still be there kind of obviously if you do an adaptation i mean 
especially if you set it kind of in like the realistic world, more or less, it's always going to be shaped somewhat around society today. I mean, even 80s movies were to a degree. They just didn't like push the narratives. Yeah. So if this doesn't push the narrative, I think it could be okay. But we spent enough time on that one. Be on the lookout for more information about the new Maniac Cop. Now, this next uh, bit of news is about another new series that's coming out, but this is going to be an original series directed by none other than Dario Argento. That's crazy, dude. When's the last time he did anything? Was it Mother of Tears? I think so, yeah. Uh, I believe. Because that's what I thought. I know he had nothing to do with Suspiria, the remake. Mm -hmm. He was just like, yeah, sure, go ahead, remake it. Yeah. But... This one sounds interesting, though. It's called Longinus, or Longinus. (laughs) Longinus. (laughs) And, um... He, it's a TV series, and yeah, apparently it's going to be the first uh, project of his since 2012, which I believe was Mother of Tears, Yeah, and it involves mysterious murders, esoteric elements, and ancient enigmas, so pretty much Argento's wheelhouse, and um, apparently the title of the series appears to reference the name given to the Roman soldier who pierced the side of the crucified Jesus with a lance to make sure that Jesus was dead, so it, it sounds interesting, there's not really much more information but uh it's supposed to be for the international market so it's going to be a wide release thing i'm imagining shot between the french alps of grenoble and the siena of the paleo so i mean it sounds like it's going to have some beautiful imagery and knowing argento it's probably going to be batshit crazy so i'm excited it seems like it's you get like just a photo it gives me like army of darkness vibes and uh, i think it's going to be like some and a lot of directors, I don't know why they're doing it nowadays, especially like probably with the rise of Stephen King's It and Castle Rock. Like every movie now, it seems like so like Stephen King ish. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed that? Like, yeah, it's it's definitely influential. But you know, even Lighthouse from the from the trailers, it looks like some Stephen King shit. Yeah, I can see it in a way. I mean, a lot of it is like that suburban stuff, but it's just like that mind fuckery and yeah and and those ancient evils and stuff like that i like like that stuff like the passage into other dimensions or whatever or like the the transition of like your mental or phys not physical your mental or your soul like into that other area that's not tangible you know what Mm -hmm. i mean like even in like the stephen king movies even if they don't go to another dimension it seems like people's minds like sort of transcends into that like other dimension that just that just that it just slips out of reality through that one little crack into that other mm. Stephen King <laughs> crazy fucking universe with flying turtles and yeah, killer clowns that are millions of years old. I, I guess we'll see how it turns out. What I'm kind of getting from it is that it might be like a modern day set type of almost like a crime thriller, but with some kind of central ancient evil type thing that, you know, seems pretty standard of uh, Argento. Either way, sounds cool. I like all the old school, like the Roman thing. So um, I think the important thing will be, is it going to be like a period piece or is it going to be like a modern day thing? But let's move on to this next article. Uh, You know, keep an eye out guys for more information on Longinus. And uh, this next one, also pretty interesting. Russell Crowe apparently is going to be playing a horror movie actor in a new film from Kevin Williamson and the Final Girls team, which is exciting. And uh, the premise sounds, you know, kind of standard, but could be good. It's some, like, schizophrenia mental health thing again. Like, yeah. So, basically, a troubled actor who begins to unravel while shooting a horror film. 
His estranged daughters wonder if he's slipping back into his past addictions or if there's something more sinister at play. And I'm going to assume it's both. <laughs> yeah, probably. Drugs led you to being kidnapped by demons like, mm-hmm. or whatever the fuck is going to go on here. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm interested because, you know, obviously the begins to unravel while shooting a horror film is very vague. But the fact that it's specifically mentioning that it's a horror film means that kind of anything could happen. Longinus. You know, <laughs> like, so I wonder if there's going to be like a monster or if it's going to be mostly just like a psychological horror. I think it's going to be super psychological. Probably. Maybe it's probably going to hint at like supernatural things, mm-hmm. but at the end, it's going to end up being like all in his head and he ends up, he ended up like killing some people or something and mm. doesn't remember it because he's a junkie or whatever the hell's going on. Right. Because they didn't really specify the addiction. Was it a drug addiction? Was it like a killing addiction? Like... <laughs> sex addiction or something crazy yeah i don't know well we'll see about that one again there's not really any more information but uh it's interesting that it's a team from the final girls which was a good movie and uh so i'm excited to see what they can do also kind of like comedic and so i'm i'm wondering if this is going to have a comedic element or if it's going to be serious with russell crowe i'm thinking more serious so he's a good actor I'm excited. Yeah, I, I am too. I mean, I don't even remember seeing Russell Crowe in like a serious horror movie ever. So. Yeah, I, I I don't know either, honestly, off the top of my head. And if it's his <laughs> first time, he could probably kill it. I mean, yeah. actors can adapt. Uh-huh. He's used to the big screen. Mm-hmm. Did you really? He's used to the big screen, so like, I'm sure he can <laughs> nail a horror role. Yeah, oh, I'm sure, I'm sure. I mean, he, he's phenomenal. So we'll see what happens with that one. But uh, let's move on to a couple trailers here before we dive right into our main segment. The first is coming out October 25th on Netflix, so actually by the time you're listening to this, uh, it may already be out, so check Netflix if you do have it. It's called Rattlesnake, and this one is not what you would expect. There is a snake bite involved, and there is a desert, but uh, it looks a bit different. It looks supernatural, which yeah, is kind of cool. It's like, it's like snakes on a plane meets the ring. Yeah. So seven days, you have seven hours. Uh, it actually kind of reminded me in a way of like uh drag me to hell oh yeah you know You're except right. except she didn't like turn her down she took help f- from basically this woman uh gets stranded in the desert or something her daughter gets bitten by a rattlesnake she finds this mysterious woman who like cures her but demands uh repayment in the form of a soul. another <laughs> soul or whatever the fuck so uh i'm not quite sure what these entities are supposed to be but it it looks pretty good in my opinion so but like you said before with the netflix movies yeah you never know this could be the next bird box which i didn't yeah. like yeah but uh the film does star carmen ijogo who uh, has been in, in quite a few other things and pretty uh talented actress so we'll see about that one the next one also looks pretty hit or miss but this one's called animal among us and coming out November 19th on VOD and DVD. First off, it's coming from Uncorked Entertainment. So, <laughs> they've released some shitters yeah. and some okays. That's putting it loosely. I and uh, we watched two trailers. So, the first one, everything looked sick. Mm-hmm. It looked super Hollywood-esque. And it looked well done. And then the second trailer really made it seem like a like a buddy project. So Yeah. I Well, I just don't think Uncorked does trailers well at all or good movies or yeah or good movies, but uh the the trailer that uncorked put out looked very very suspicious the, but <laughs> the first one was uh from uh 
high octane yeah and that so one looks what cool and then i guess they what switch distribution companies like in between Something. probably i don't know but this one uh looks okay it does seem like there's going to be a practical creature in this film which is always appreciated and basically uh, it's about a writer who goes back or visits for the first time i'm not sure uh this campground that he made famous uh, in his book and apparently 15 years ago there were two teenage girls murdered at merrymaker campgrounds they're trying to reopen the camp there's some kind of monster kind of has that you know friday the 13th spin with a creature yeah so this can really go in any direction it could end up being like a hidden gem or like a really profoundly smelling visible turd that's true it really kind of depends on like a few things first of all like the acting looked okay except i wasn't a huge fan of the lead actors uh performance and based on what i saw mm-hmm. and then like what we did kind of see of the creature looked cool but we didn't see much we so saw its it arm de- mostly yeah it and de- like shadows on the reveal to me hopefully it's not like the boogans like no man i kind of hope not but we'll see november 19th check it out this last one real quick uh is actually premiering or has already premiered at the salem horror fest uh, and this one's called Mass Hysteria. This is a horror comedy from Ariel Semino and Jeff Ryan. Yeah, it looked all right. Uh, someone like puts a curse, like this chick. I don't know what the hell's going on. She's like a curse <laughs> on whatever. May God make you drink blood. And then this guy starts throwing up blood. But then he's alive later on in the film, and everyone's going crazy. So it looks like there's a lot of mass hysteria going <laughs> oh. on. A, a lot of malarkey. I see. Yeah, a <laughs> lot of a lot of Jonesing, if you know what I mean. I know what you mean. Uh, so basically the synopsis says that the movie was filmed in Salem, Massachusetts, which is very cool. Um, and is telling the story of a group of Salem witch trial reenactors who find themselves the target of a modern day witch hunt after a tourist dies on Halloween night. So the premise is pretty cool. The movie does look like it has some funny moments and also like it has some decent horror moments. Didn't look really like a horror comedy. It looked like a horror with comedy elements, like yeah. slightly comedic elements, like nothing like that's like super witty or over the top, just like a little like fun pokey jokes. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I do want to say though that that one main guy, the, the obnoxious guy kind of looked he's like, cool. I like him. he's cool, but he kind of looked like an asshole, like Justin Trudeau sort of, you know? Oh yeah. I don't know. I just found that interesting. He reminded <laughs> me of like young Brendan Fraser from like the mummy. Sure yeah i can see it but uh be on the lookout for mass hysteria guys it did premiere at that salem horror fest but there's no other word now on an an official release but um we'll see uh what happens with that one so that's it for the news and then we're going to get right into our uh, main segment talking about halloween in just a moment first we do have a few messages from some other srd shows so stick around Because I feel like a salad tossing might feel good. What? (laughs) (laughs) Out of Bounds Detroit Podcast. Tuesday morning and Friday mornings here on SportsRadioDetroit.com. Do you love pop culture? Discussions about pop culture? Ranking and rating treasured pieces of that shared culture against each other? I I mean, I do think Flea's a good bass player. He does what he does very well. And like I said, he's he's a he's like a rock star, you know. He's eccentric. What is so funny? What I just didn't like? know he talked so long about Flea. I, d- I didn't know anybody had so many feelings. I do. So many. I feelings. got feelings. 
<laughs> Music, movies, television, food, sports, pro wrestling. We are the determination of what is over or underrated across all fields of greater cultural consumption. Subscribe and review on Apple Podcasts and Podbean or visit us at sportsradiodetroit.com. Over under fair, your final word in pop culture relevance. And welcome back, Halloween horror fans. And we're going to be talking about Halloween, John Carpenter's 1978 classic on this episode. We've talked about the 2018 one. We've mentioned it in passing, obviously, because it's your favorite movie. But uh, we've never had, you know, an honest-to-goodness discussion about it. So here we go. I think a lot of people owe John Carpenter a thank you, including Sean Cunningham, Victor Miller, and every single director of 80 slashers. They took the tropes from that movie. This is the movie that started all. The Virgin Lives. The good girl lives because she's more vigilant. She's not distracted by stuff. She's not mm-hmm. distracted by sex or by guys or by drinking. She's like sober. She's a good student, so you could tell she's focused. She notices Michael from the start. Mm-hmm. And it also brought like the the whole like <laughs> I guess people read too much into this one, but like the phallic symbolism of like the knife yeah. and like the the final girl being a virgin taking the knife and killing the killer with it or stabbing him with it in this in a sense taking his manhood as mm-hmm. leslie vernon elaborated to yeah this is where it all stems from basically because this is this is where the they borrowed the tropes this obviously wasn't the first slasher movie but it was the first like extremely important arguable with you know texas chainsaw massacre but mm-hmm. this is the more like important one i would say at least in terms of like horror culture halloween culture don't get me wrong texas chainsaw massacre will always forever be credited for unleashing uh, imitators like wrong turn and you know stuff like that that might have been more the hills have eyes that one's also a slasher you could say but this was like the single person slasher no crazy family you borrow a lot of elements from bob clark's black christmas which was essentially the first hollywood slasher film if Mm -hmm. you don't count like the cabinet of dr caligari or uh peeping tom i guess would be considered one of the first but this one like this is where horror took its turn so back like the 70s 60s focused on frankenstein and dracula and all these gothic monsters halloween was really the first to bring this danger to like a suburban white neighborhood you know exactly and that's where people wanted to focus on like no one cared about demons like in castles and fucking vampire bats and shit they know is not real what's real is an escaped mental patient who does not talk and is a complete schizo sociopath mm-hmm. and just wants to murder people for no reason just because he likes it yeah back then you know that was really terrifying because especially for american audiences you know they had gone from the universal monsters to some uh other movies inspired by like british horror you know which was very kind of droll and you know, obviously black and white was very prevalent up until a certain time. Uh, and then, you know, the big thing in horror was Giallo. And, oh, yeah. And I, I want to say that some Giallos probably made it over to America, but it wasn't that popular then in America or really most other places in the world. But Halloween and other slashers definitely borrowed a lot from Giallo. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. But John Carpenter's Halloween had a lot of European horror cinematic like mm-hmm. techniques especially like with the lighting and everything and like 
lighting was super prevalent in that film as well. Yeah. And that was probably the most important thing in that film was like the lighting and like you're wondering what's in the shadows mm. and you know Michael's doing all these scares you never know when he's going to jump out and then the kills are there to just justify the the scares and mm. all the all the dark corners and everything like especially the end after he gets shot off the balcony and the camera changes to every location that he was at and you hear his breathing mm -hmm. makes you wonder like where is he yeah exactly i mean it took all those elements and added so many new ones that eventually just became at this point tropes you know the masked unstoppable killer yeah the virgin but those are exactly the kind of things that did different enough from giallo and enough from something like texas chainsaw massacre which you know being in like texas and about this crazy family a bit different but this one touched on like a very real fear in you know 80s america especially when people thought that they were safe you know in their nice little homes in the suburbs and stuff living the american dream yeah here comes michael myers exactly you know even though back then initially you know be like oh it's kind of like a weird get up and he's just got a mask on but the way that they framed every shot the soundtrack you know like you said the lighting everything really just made it a fucking terrifying experience and people sitting there you know in their nice clothes you know eating their popcorn and stuff probably like oh shit like this could really happen to me and then you oh, go yeah. home and you lock the doors and that's exactly why this movie took off you know because it it was isolated it made you feel you know that tense uh fear with Lori and everything mm -hmm. so it was, it was just revolutionary for sure and not to mention it was the first holiday based horror movie mm -hmm. so like and like Black Christmas, sure, it happened around like Christmas, but this one was centered in that one day. Mm -hmm. Of course, there was that flashback 15 years after Michael killed his sister. Well, yeah. I like the techniques that it, that they use, like at the beginning, the first person POV, like, and then like the stabbing, and then the reveal, and then boom, it was a kid. Like you could tell mm -hmm. they studied like how cinematography affects the viewer, and like to have a little kid revealed to be the killer right at the beginning, people are like, oh, what the fuck is this going to be? Yeah. And this was like the first Halloween-based horror movie and probably the greatest, in my opinion. Trick or Treat is also good. Like, honestly, nothing touches John Carpenter's Halloween just because of, like, how innovative it was. Michael Myers, as a person, like, this is the first time we see him. And, like, my first time watching it, I didn't know he was going to become this giant icon. Mm -hmm. Now you got people on Instagram making their own custom Michael Myers masks, their own artwork. People are cosplaying him. People literally have an obsession with him and spend thousands of dollars on, like, Michael memorabilia, like I do. I have what now? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven Michael masks right here, and then another two in the basement that I've been working on. So, yeah, like, he's really like he's the man, bro. Like, and he inspired Jason. Mm -hmm. Like, come on, Jason is just an exaggerated version of Michael. To its credit, you know, going out of the suburban home into the campground definitely. Oh yeah, helped you know its own image, but. Yeah, Michael, without even ever saying pretty much a word to Michael Myers really, I mean, just stood out immediately as this icon, um, almost because of how simplistic everything kind of is. You yes. Know? Like, it, overall, as a film, actually, you know, very well-managed, well-directed, everything about it, you know, when you really look at it, was phenomenal, especially for the tiny budget that it had. Seriously, 300000 at the time, yeah. Mustafa Akkad, 
he was filming like some like movie in like the desert and he was spending three hundred thousand dollars a day on it yeah and then you know compass international they were the distribution company and they were like all right you know we need to show people like low budget films but the problem was they didn't have any low budget films mm-hmm. so then john carpenter and deborah hill came along and like mustafa Akkad, like no it was erwin Yablons, i think they gave him the idea like uh, i want this to happen on one night and i want it to be called halloween so deborah hill and john carpenter sat down and wrote this together r.i.p deborah hill mm-hmm. one of the greatest of all time and then they created this and john carpenter said he was inspired by michael uh by by an actual mental patient for Michael Myers. So he went to like a mental asylum and there was this kid there and like the kid was just like stoic. Like he just gave John Carpenter like a look. Carpenter said that looks like stayed with him like forever. That's where he got that inspiration for Michael Myers. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, hey, some of the best stories are inspired by real, real events, you know, and the real world is terrifying. And that's the whole gist of this movie. But you know, like I was kind of saying, everything about it, pretty much when you look at it, is pretty masterful. I mean, sure, some of the acting now is kind of dated, and you know the the quality dialogue. and everything. The dialogue is kind of dated, yeah. But but the way that it you know invokes fear is is masterful. Oh yeah, I mean, and, I still get anxiety if I'm like if I hit the pen a few times and watch yeah. Halloween, like. Yeah. No, you you think about how, like, this can happen. Mm -hmm. Sure, the guy you shoot six times won't come back, but who says you're going to, like, be able to? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And, like, I I like, like, this, how, like, through the movie, like, he starts stalking Lori from the start in broad daylight from the front of the Myers house to her school, follows Mm -hmm. her to her school, follows Tommy Doyle to school, then follows him home, like, so he can know, like, where she's going. Mm-hmm. And he follows her and Annie, literally drives by Loomis as he's looking away. So he breaks into a hardware store, steals a mask, a rope, and a couple of knives. And Loomis is at the hardware store with the sheriff after it happens. And Michael drives right by him, right behind him in the background. Yeah. Like, it's subtle. Like, it's like, where's Waldo? You know, like, yeah. you try to find Michael in every, like, little frame. And then he, like, shows up in Lori's backyard and just disappears. And, like, you're starting to wonder, like, is this that same six-year-old kid? Like, is this, like, what's happened? Is there supernatural elements to it? Why is he getting stabbed and he just keeps coming forward? Like, what is going on? Yeah, so that's the thing. I mean, on the surface, this movie is kind of simplistic. You know, if you want to boil it down, it's kind of like a just a stalking, you know, home invasion type slasher movie, pretty much. But back then, nobody really knew what a slasher movie was. No. This movie pretty much established that completely. And... You know, yeah, when you look underneath the surface, there are so many little things to take away, even with just, like, how things are framed. You know, the uh, hedge scene where Michael steps out and then disappears is a perfect example of just, like, a masterful sequence, you know. So even though, yeah, it's a slasher killer movie, there's so many little things that just make it stand out above the rest. And, you know, what a lot of the imitators are often missing you know because this isn't like honestly like this isn't a a campy cheesy like slasher movie you know this is like a serious you know experiment in fear yeah it's so atmospheric like the lighting the music michael's always just like walking around just staring at people like seeing what they're gonna do he's trying to like establish like like what's their routine Mm -hmm. how am i gonna do this like yeah it makes you like psychoanalyze him which is what you shouldn't do because you know it's a movie you know you shouldn't be like Oh, he's he's 
he's analyzing this moment right now he's gonna wait for this to happen he's gonna go mm -hmm. here and like mainly it's just not how you should look at a movie this is supposed to be fun because then when you psychoanalyze stuff people start getting obsessed with it and then they try to like replicate it in real life mm -hmm. and we have those instances about like people dressing as Myers and killing people because of like they saw this movie and those people were already sociopaths mm -hmm. to begin with this yeah. just kind of like this gave them the push even though it shouldn't have because but that's how their brains work and like i don't know man it's crazy how this movie like it, it shaped halloween you can't think about the holiday michael myers has become a staple mm -hmm. like like he's literally infused into halloween like you cannot like ever since 1978 he's gotten huge and like no one to this day has still been able to replicate the original michael myers nick castle he played michael for most of the stalking scenes uh for the for the scene where he was standing and staring at annie through like the window that was deborah hill mm -hmm. just standing there john carpenter played michael in like some stand scenes and mm. uh stuntman i think jim winburn played him when he like when he fell off the balcony and then oh. tommy lee wallace played him when he was breaking the closet that's why his head shape looks oh, kind of wow. different in the mask because like nick didn't know how to like break the closet door like efficiently mm -hmm. but tommy knew exactly how so he like he did that scene mm -hmm. so like it's pretty cool that everyone got to play myers and then the unmasking scene when we finally see his face this is the best part and he's just a regular dude who has one eye because laurie just poked it out mm -hmm. he's just some regular curly haired dude like but you, and they had one guy play him for 60 sec for six seconds tony moran mm -hmm. and that's all he played him for even though they credit tony moran as michael age 23 which he's supposed to be 21 they just did the math mm -hmm. wrong nick castle is credited as the shape okay so that's what they did with that and growing up my whole life i didn't know that nick castle was the shape and tony moran was just the unmasked one until i watched halloween 25 years of terror yeah that's pretty interesting i mean because again that's something that they did pretty flawlessly i mean if you really look at it you can probably notice those subtle differences but if you're just watching the movie you you won't know that like eight different people you know were yeah. ever played michael throughout the entire movie like just so nick castle's crazy. movements as him though like mm -hmm. and it's weird how, how people say oh no one can replicate nick castle because like nick castle said so john carpenter was filming a film and then nick castle showed up he's like hey you know i want to be a director too he was one of john carpenter's friends he's like so like do you mind if i stick around the set and watch john carpenter's like he's like yeah i don't mind he's like but you know as long as you're here why don't you play the guy with the mask that's running around killing everyone and nick castle got paid 25 dollars a day to be michael myers <laughs> damn that's crazy i imagine how much he would ask for now oh yeah you i know? mean he's an og yeah and like he said they really didn't give him any direction in the movie He's like, what's my motivation? What am I doing this for? And John Carpenter's like, just walk. And he's <laughs> okay. like, okay. So like all the movements you see, like the walking, like the way he walks so like slow and creepily, like after Tommy when he's stalking him, mm -hmm. Nick Castle said, he's like, yeah, that's just how I moved. <laughs> and like, they're like, did, they, did John Carpenter ever give you any direction? He's like, he would either say walk faster or walk slower. Wow. That's so it. he just walks creepy. <laughs> yeah, he's just like, I don't know, he's suave. I don't know what it I is. Guess, like, yeah. I mean, that's cool. But in that, you know, outfit, obviously, it's, yeah. it's creepy. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. You got some I mean, swag. There's a lot of really cool trivia about this movie. That's what, one thing I love about it. It became so successful and such a hit, but, you know, it really was just kind of, you know, a passion project almost, more or less. I mean, $300,000 or whatever back then was, you know, still quite a bit of money, but 
it wasn't like some million dollar you know hollywood production or no anything. it was just a low budget independent yeah. film but it became it became so successful and i wanted to say too back to your point about the psychoanalyzing and just why michael is so associated with halloween and we'll get into the more halloween stuff here in a second but you know uh even kind of loomis was was trying to guide people on and you know it's just that he's he's just evil exactly that's the thing you know there's nothing really super like you don't have to go so deep into it yeah you know, loomis, he's just a bad person and since loomis is like the the psyche you know the mm. the protagonist psyche you're supposed to listen to everything loomis says and assume it as truth because at first how he said no one listened to him mm. and then michael got out and he said i told you that's supposed to let you know like all right loomis is completely right about everything he's saying so when you're looking for a motive for michael it literally is that he is just evil incarnate like yeah. he's literally the devil in a person like he just wants to kill yeah but let's let's move on here to uh, for a second to just the halloween stuff overall and then i think we could probably wrap it up here but you know you kind of alluded to it how he just is such a halloween icon now and a lot of movies have tried to be halloween centered and obviously to emulate the original halloween but you know what's what does this movie do specifically with the halloween like holiday and setting and everything that puts it head and shoulders above like the other movies it was the first one and the fact that you really don't know what's going on on Halloween. Because, like, he was stalking people in broad daylight, walking around with a mask. Mm -hmm. And, like, no one would suspect him. And why would they? It's Halloween and there's just a dude in a mask like they're supposed to be. Yeah. That's kind of a and, perfect setup. And you never know, like, who one of them is. That's the thing. And then, like, the thing I like what this movie did, you take off the mask and you're assuming it's, like, some demonic... And it's just a dude. Mm -hmm. It's a guy. Yeah. But, you know, it's unexplainable how he just walks up and gets away and yeah. her and stuff. and. And then, you know, there are all the little scenes in, in the background with, like, the pumpkins and uh, stuff hanging on the doors and everything, you know, and then kids trick-or-treating. So, even though it's not, like, jamming it down your throat, like, Halloween, Halloween, yeah, you know, it's still kind of the perfect movie because a lot of people think, you know, Halloween, things come out and anything could happen and this movie's like yeah pretty, anything can happen and it's mainly much. people like that's what this exactly. movie's saying it could be just one dude who's just not wired correctly mm -hmm. and he just he's just out there you never know if someone escapes from a loony bin like they don't announce that shit on the news like mm -hmm. oh a dangerous patient so-and-so escaped it's, it's yeah. like no it's like if someone escapes they're gonna go try to find him they're gonna assume he ran away and that they're gonna find him somewhere at like a gas station just sitting there playing with his fingers or something yeah. that's what they assumed but it's not what happened. No, this this movie, yeah, it is Halloween and it takes place on Halloween, but Halloween is not like the main thing that it's pushing. It's not like the central focus. Yeah. You know, it's there and it's important, but... It just happened on Halloween. Yeah, and I think a lot of movies like oh, that one you were complaining to me about, like that jack-o'-lantern and all that shit. Oh my God. You know, like these movies try to be like Halloween themed and really push it and just kind of sell it based on like oh this is halloween themed and pumpkins and stuff but i don't know i I, th I think some first of all they're they're too amateur like they don't understand yeah like just how to direct well and good acting and good cinematography Hal halloween had all of that and you know they just try to like push it too much it's like like i love halloween but like i get it you know you should focus on making a good movie and and Halloween is is definitely one of the best. Yeah, it's 
as you know, it's my favorite movie of all time, yeah. let alone horror movie. That's one just a given. Mm-hmm. And I always watch it in succession with part two, even though they had a new one. Because like growing up as a kid with my parents, I'd watch it on AMC. And then as soon as Halloween number one would get done on the network, Halloween two would play following up five minutes yeah. later. And then it would skip over three. They'd play four and then five. And then the next day they would do the same thing. Now it seems like there's a lot less focus. There's actually... Halloween's actually going to be on AMC tonight. And then oh. the sequel as well. And then nice. they're going to do it like they were doing it back in the day. They're going to think play them in succession. Because they always played like... Remember even two years ago, I would come home from like the store or something. And I'd be flipping through the channels. I'd be like, oh, look, it's a Halloween movie marathon mm-hmm. all fucking week. Like, I remember they had a whole week where they were just playing Michael Myers movies. Yeah. No, I mean, it's cool. You know, you can argue all day long about what happens kind of in the later Halloween movies. Yeah. But this th- one that's, had nothing to do with it. Yeah, that. that's a topic for a whole other thing. We actually talked about the whole franchise pretty much with Over Under Fair mm-hmm. last Halloween. So you guys can go check out that episode if you want. But the first Halloween movie honestly can be it should have just, been just a its own thing. Yeah. And it's perfect as that. And I agree. I mean, with part two. I mean, that's also a, a very good follow-up. So oh, yeah. Either way, but some it could be just, its own thing. Some people just don't like the brother-sister angle. Yeah. Because it takes away from, like, the boogeyman aspect and actually gives Michael a purpose. He's just some guy trying to kill his sister, and he's not the boogeyman. Yeah. So that can kind of take away from it. But why? But if he's not the boogeyman, then why is he just trying to kill his fucking sister and everyone who's near her, like, within a 10-mile radius? Like Yeah, because now people go back to it, and they're like, oh, well, clearly he was going after her specifically because of the whole sister thing but if you just watch halloween by itself you don't get that at all it's just kind of like picked you know some random people in his hometown yeah like she that just, was the association she just dropped off the key at his house because mm. like her dad was selling the house and he just followed her from there and yeah. then sure that might have been his first target that he wanted to kill but then he saw he, she had all these friends so like he's like let me knock these people off mm. i'm gonna have fun with her which is why in Halloween, the first one, after he stabs Jamie Lee Curtis in the arm and she sends, she gets, she tumbles down the steps and then she locks herself in that room and then he breaks through the door and she breaks through the back door and runs away and he's like right on her tail. You see her run to the front and start yelling and asking for help and then he's nowhere in sight. She gets, she gets across the street back to the Doyle's residence. She starts knocking on the door and then you see Michael come out of the backyard, which makes you think like, yo, this guy's fucking sick because... He's trying to have fun with her. He literally gave her a head start. Yeah. And when you when you think about it, he really does does f- love fucking with people. Like he dropped a plant down to fuck with Annie. He locked her in the garage. Yeah. He unlocked her car door after she went to go get the keys for it. Like it, he just loves fucking with people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because he's just a sick fuck. <laughs> I think he's like he still has the mind of a child. Yeah, I think that's why he doesn't talk because like he would sound like a five year old if he talked. That's fair. Yeah, I I always liked that he was the silent killer, and obviously that's inspired so many other killers. And the movie itself is just highly influential. We could talk about it all day long, but do you have any closing comments that you want to say about it? I think it is the greatest horror movie of all time, and if you have not seen it, you should see it. And pay attention. It was in 1978, and no other movies like this came out besides mm-hmm. Black Christmas. So, yeah. And that wasn't well-known. It was a Canadian film. It was low-budget. No one really knew about it. So, like, this mm-hmm. was the first main Hollywood slasher. I mean, period. Yeah. 
Texas Chainsaw Massacre was big, but this is a single person silent slasher and the greatest to ever mm. do it. The closest movies to it are Halloween 2, Halloween 4, and then last year's Halloween. Mm, yeah, that's fair. I, I also think, you know, it's highly influential for, for a very good reason. Doesn't really even feel like a late 70s it movie is the thing. Definitely ahead of its time. And just perfect for this season and really any time. You know, it, it's just a great movie. I actually have seen people recently uh, comment about seeing it for the first time and and just being, you know, wowed by it. And and that's what this movie does. So, yeah, if if you haven't ever seen it, highly recommended. It's the perfect Halloween movie. If you're listening to this still before Halloween and you have not put it on your October watch list, it's just a must. I'm pretty sure there's a new 4K out as yeah, well of it. So, I mean, if you guys have that, you, I don't know, have, there, you have no excuse to not see it. I don't have the 4K. I grabbed like I grabbed like the 35th anniversary Blu-ray no. or whatever, but I'm going to get the 4K and then they had like a 4K steel book. Nice. So like tomorrow's the time. Tomorrow I start uh I start going through the halloween movies yeah tomorrow's one and two nice and the next day four and five and then you know it's there's a, i'm not gonna go through all of them because resurrection and the rob zombie one yeah suck. i got kind of i'm stopping <laughs> at at the one from last year yeah and the one before that's gonna be uh h20 so all right yeah the, the first one though iconic and an absolute classic so that's that's a must watch absolutely so I think that's uh, kind of all we have to say about that movie and and its influence and its you know what what it did for Halloween movies in general. So guys, let us know what you think about it and tell us what your favorite Halloween movie is if it is not Carpenter's Halloween. Uh, you can reach out to us on all our social media: Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Grave Discussions or Grave Disc SRD on Twitter, and go to GraveDiscussions.net for all the newest episodes and a bunch of other stuff. So that's going to do it for episode 80, guys. Have a happy Halloween, and stick around next weekend for a brand new Grave Discussions. Yes, next week we will be shooting arrows at wild wolves. So tune in next week for episode 81 of Grave Discussions. <laughs> This has been an SRD production.